Welcome to God Yay or Nay. I'm your host, Noor Kidwai. I'm here to find out how we grow, transform, and become our best selves. How we create meaning in our lives. Come join me on my journey. Welcome to another episode of God Yay or Nay. This is your host, Noor Kidwai. Thanks for tuning in. My guest this week is Neil McKinley. Neil is a meditation teacher. He's been practicing meditation for over 25 years and now teaches it. We have a great conversation on meditation, understanding how your mind works, and uh, yeah, using that knowledge to yeah, maybe become better or maybe uh, provide some healing in your life. Uh, it's a great uh, episode. I hope you guys enjoy. Check me out on Instagram at NoorKidY. Like and subscribe to the podcast. Give it a good rating. That always helps. And we're part of the Comedy Here Often podcast network on 604 Records, so check them out too. Let's get into this week's episode, everyone. My guest this week, Neil McKinley. Hey, welcome to another episode of God, Yay or Nay. I'm here with Neil McKinley. Neil, thanks for joining me, man. Yeah, great to be here, North. Thanks very much. Uh, the one thing I'm so happy to have you on the podcast, you're basically into one of my favorite uh, hobbies, I guess you could call it, uh, meditation. Um, yeah, and you help people do uh, meditation as well and a lot of stuff. Maybe you can kind of get into like uh, what what do you kind of do with people right now with meditation and how do you help them well um i teach embodied meditation and um i do a lot of my work online now like many people the arrival of covid engendered a certain amount of shifting in my work so i used to do a lot of in-person stuff and a little bit of online stuff and now that has switched 180 degrees and um, really, my intention is to help people find ways to bring this work, bring meditation practice more deeply into their lives. And that can be as simple as, okay, how do I fit it into my schedule? You know, I got two kids, I got a job, I'm busy. And so that's one level that um, I work with people at. And then another level is, you know, recognizing that meditation in everyday life, they actually really um, illuminate and influence one another. And so beginning to see that what we're doing in meditation on our formal, you know, in our formal practice on the cushion, it's not divorced from what goes on into our lives. You know, the qualities we discover in meditation, the insights we discover in meditation, they can show up in our lives and be of benefit in, you know, our everyday interactions. And so those are kind of two extremes, you know, to give you a sense of how, how I actually work with people. Mm -hmm. And I like that kind of bringing meditation into your lives. I think we'll talk a lot about that uh, during this episode. Um, before we do that, maybe I want to kind of understand your background in meditation. I know you've been doing this for, I think you said 20, 25 years. And uh, I was wondering just kind of like, what made you get into meditation or what was the types of meditation you started with? Yeah, well, what made me get into uh, meditation was the really weird hippie assistant coach that my swim team hired when nice. I was a kid. <laughs> I was a competitive swimmer, um, you know, throughout my teen years. And one, we traveled from Victoria to Vancouver for a swim meet one weekend. And I guess it was a cost-saving measure. 
um, we rented a couple of conference rooms at a hotel and all the girls stayed in one conference room and all the boys stayed in another conference room. And the girls had one of the moms kind of chaperoning them. The guys, we got the weird new assistant coach who was kind of hippy dippy and all kind of weird things um, <laughs> to our 15 year old minds. And one Saturday night or that Saturday night, he introduced us to meditation. You know, he taught us how to meditate, kept us up way too late, given the fact that we had to swim the next day, but, you know, taught us how to meditate. And I just remember something clicking. It was like, you know, this is really interesting to me. And mm -hmm. I stayed with it for a bunch of years after that, probably thinking I was meditating more than I was actually meditating. You know, I didn't have any idea what I was supposed to be doing. And then um, I spent about 30 years ago, I spent 10 years working in uh, the Shambhala community. And then the last 20 years, I was have been involved in the Dharma Ocean community. Um, and that's where I really learned uh, how to practice in this embodied way that I now do and that I now teach with people. Okay. And you said the communities you were talking about, can you say those names again? Shambhala is the community I was involved with through much of the 1990s. And then up until a couple of years ago, um, the 2000s, I was with a community called Dharma Ocean. Okay. Do they practice different types of meditation? They do. Yeah. Okay. And uh, so how do you develop, like, I'm just trying to think like over the years, like if you're talking decades, is it kind of like you find what meditation's right for you? Or is it kind of like it falls into your lap? How does that change over time? I think it's for me, it's really been a matter of finding what resonates for me, you know, okay. feeling this, maybe it's like a honing in quality, like there's this initial sense sitting with my swim coach, um, you know, <laughs> I can't even guess how many years ago sitting, sitting with my swim coach on that Saturday night of like, yeah, this meditation, I, I like meditation, there's something for me in this. And then there was a narrowing when I became involved with the Shambhala community. It was like, okay, this is, this approach works for me. There's something to this. And then another narrowing in, you know, the Dharma ocean um, situation where like, okay, this embodied practice really holds something for me. And now there's this further narrowing, which is yeah. Embodied meditation immersed within the context of my everyday life, which oddly enough, kind of goes back full circle, because that's how I learned how to meditate was in my everyday life. I was a swimmer. He was mm -hmm. my swim coach. We were at a swim meet. And so I've now got this narrowed approach or this more focused approach to how I might practice. And I've gone back to this sense of, okay, okay, how does this play out in my everyday life? Ah, that's uh, very cool. Uh Honestly, I think my uh, meditation experience is kind of the same. I, uh, when I started doing it, it was more just focusing on the breath. And then I kind of got into this book called The Mind Illuminated. I'm not sure if you heard of that one, but it was like a lot of single pointed concentration kind of meditation. And then when I got uh, quite a bit into that, it kind of turned into more of a mindfulness. And I think it's probably similar to what you're talking about with embodied meditation. But it is funny how that changes over time. And you find a practice for some reason resonates with you more at one time than another one. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, I think that's pretty common too. Mm -hmm. So can you uh, let my audience know embodied meditation? What is the how do you, what do you explain what uh, embodied meditation is? Yeah, sure. So let's start with meditation. So what is meditation? 
meditation is a practice where we take our attention, you know, that attention that's like always wandering around, like, what am I going to do for dinner? Who's going to take care of the dishes? You know, all those sorts of things. We take that wandering attention and we deliberately place it somewhere. We place it on what's called the object of meditation. So you could place it on an image. You could place your attention on a candle flame. You could place your attention on a visualization. You could place your attention on, you know, a sound, a phrase, you know. So that's the general dynamic of meditation practice writ large. It's a practice where we take our wandering attention and deliberately place it somewhere. With embodied meditation, what we're doing is we are, that dynamic still holds. What we're doing though, is we're specifically placing our attention on some aspect of embodied experience. So for instance, instead of a candle, instead of a visualization, you know, the breath as it comes into the lower belly or the experience of the big toe or the sense of openness in the middle of the skull. You know, we place our attention in some aspect of embodied experience. And okay. Then our attention wanders very quickly. Yeah. And we just come back over and over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, okay. So why do you think uh, this kind of embodiment, uh, why do you think there's like a little bit of uh, maybe something like different than other types of meditation in it? Well, you know, really, I'll just speak from personal experience. And, you know, personally, what I find is that with explicitly embodied meditation instructions, I'm constantly coming back to, again, what I said, embodied experience, which means I'm constantly coming back to right here, right now. Because if you think about embodied experience, like it, it's not hanging out thinking about what's going on yesterday, went on yesterday, mm-hmm. or what's going to go on tomorrow. So there's this very uh, vivid sense of immediate embodied presence. Mm. Without that explicitness for me, it's really easy for me to drift, to think that I'm meditating, but I'm actually kind of daydreaming about what went on yesterday. Yeah, yeah, what might go on tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So it gives me this, this really helpful tool. And really, that's all meditation is, is a tool to help us connect with our lives. It's a really helpful tool to help me connect with my life to help me connect with, um, you know, the, the qualities that are inherent in my life, the sense of connection that I enjoy with life through the senses and so forth you know, the unconscious and unlived experience that's held in the body that waits for care and attention. It gives me this really helpful tool to be present with all that. That's, uh, that's amazing. Uh, I, I honestly, I resonate with that a lot. I think my meditation practice has kind of taken that kind of step to like how I was saying, like, I guess my language around it was like, I kind of became more of a mindfulness meditation, kind of putting that, uh, putting your attention onto uh kind of like the awareness of my whole body kind of thing Mm -hmm. Uh, that's a lot of uh, what i've been doing in the last uh couple of years and you're right it kind of makes you more aware of your presence throughout the whole day and i think yeah yeah, i think that's uh what you're trying to do with your program a lot and help people with is to understand that hey you could be present at all these times during your day and coming back to that practice even during your day is very beneficial I think it, it, I think that's a huge, I mean, that's a really good point. I think that's a huge piece of the puzzle. Um, you know, one of the questions going back to the beginning, I explore 
myself and with others is how do we bring this work more fully into our lives? You know, the meditative tradition is rich with people, you know, going back thousands of years who basically meditated all the time, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, they're in monasteries, they're on retreats, they're meditating all the time, more or less. I mean, how do we do it? You know, we've got to get groceries, we've got to go to work, you know, we've got the kid to take to soccer. So how do we cultivate that kind of depth when maybe in terms of formal practice, we have like 20 or 30 minutes a day on a good day that we can offer this practice. And what you said, I think is, is really key is that we bring the practice out into our lives. And so that while we're standing in the grocery store, we come back to embodied experience for, I mean, if we do it for five seconds and we do that 500 times in a year, that adds up. Yeah, that's a great right? point. Yep. That's a really good point. And the cool thing about this practice, and I've, I've heard you talk about this and you say it very, uh, in a really good way, it, the more you do it, the more you experience life more fully, your experience with life in general begins to deepen. And it, it like, uh, it makes everything a lot more fulfilling. And I, maybe I would, for me, it gives me a little bit more of an excitement to this be in life in general. Uh, is that how you kind of feel as well? Yeah, I think, I think that's very true. Uh, you know, excitement, um, connection, compassion, you know, compassion, given yeah. what we've all been through the last couple of years with COVID, um, you know, back to the grocery store, someone told me the other day that I use a lot of grocery store examples, I think it's true, you know, back to the grocery store, I vividly remember being in the grocery store. Um, I suppose it was last winter. And so, you know, we're all socially distanced and we're all wearing our masks and we're all nervous. And I, of course, am nervous and I'm freaked out and I'm uncomfortable and I'm kind of getting grumpy about it all and just complaining about the whole situation. And for a moment, and it, it, this episode I'm about to recount wasn't more than 10 seconds. For a moment, I just brought my attention back to my immediate embodied experience. And I felt how shaky I was and I felt how scared I was and how agitated I was and how tired I was. And then I looked around and it was like, wow, the cashier feels something similar. And the person in the next line feels something similar. And the person over to my right feels something similar. It was suddenly I, this bubble, this self-absorbed bubble that I had understandably been living in punctured a little bit. And I actually connected with, you know, this COVID thing is hard for all of us. Mm. We're all struggling. And that moment was really, I mean, it was a painful moment, but it was really affirming for the value of this work. You know, just putting the brakes on that, you know, self-referential narrative, opening up, coming, connecting for a moment, and then opening up and seeing, wow, lots of people are having a hard time. Yeah, I love that. That's all, that's like such uh, well said, man, because... Yeah, I honestly, I feel that same way too. If you take that second to kind of like just pause and really just take a look at what's happening inside your body, inside your mind, how your thoughts are going, how your uh, feelings and experiences are kind of flowing, it really can, it's like so important just to take that step back and just see what those are just because you become more aware of it. Because yeah. I think when you're not doing that, you sometimes are just unconsciously just going with the whatever emotions or feelings you're going with, but you're not really uh, 
you're not aware of them at all. And that's how you can become more angry. And that's how, how you said, like less compassion. You can just be, yeah. you're not going to see the other person for going through some similar experiences as yourself. Correct. Yeah, that's very true. And I think like what you've said is, is, is accurate too. You said at the beginning, just take a second and this sense of taking the practice out into our lives. It really only takes a second. You know, like I said, that episode that I recounted was maybe 10 seconds of my life. I can spare 10 seconds of my life. I can do that. I can fit that in. Mm -hmm. So why don't you tell us then, like when you start doing this practice a lot more and it becomes a part of your routine and a part of your life, how does it now, uh, what's your relationship now with other impulses in your life? Maybe your bad habits or maybe just your impulses with like emotions or stuff like that. How does this begin to change? Um, you know, there's a, the Tibetan word, cause my training is rooted in Tibetan Buddhism. So, um, the Tibetan word for meditation is gom, G-O-M. And I've, this is probably the, the most influential teaching I've ever received on meditation. Gom means to become familiar with. And I love that. It doesn't mean get it right. It doesn't mean this state as opposed to that state become familiar with. And one of the things I've noticed after years of decades of meditation practice is I've become more familiar with my impulses, like you said, you know, the impulses that arise for me. And on the one hand, that familiar familiarity has allowed me an opportunity to occasionally do something different. Like up comes the impulse. The impulse doesn't go away. That's important to understand. Just because I meditate doesn't mean the impulses aren't there. They're still there. So up comes the impulse. And because I'm very familiar with this situation, it's like, oh, that's the impulse to do X. And, you know, that's not really appropriate in this situation. I'm going to do something different. And that's hugely valuable. And then on the other side, um, you know, it's also very humbling because the more I meditate, the more I recognize impulses coming up and I get caught up in them anyway. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so it, it's not like I can, uh, meditation is really interesting. It doesn't really allow me to build myself up much because there's this sense of, okay, I'm becoming more familiar and I'm actually choosing to do something different every once in a while. And then goodness, a lot of the time I'm not, you know, becoming familiar with that as well. Yeah, I love that. And yeah, getting familiar with that's such a perfect way of saying that I've never heard that. Thanks for sharing that. Um, it is. Uh, yeah, you become familiar with that impulse. And uh, the more it comes pops up, and it gives you a little bit of uh, a little bit of time to sometimes make a different decision. But you're right. Um, the impulse never leaves. I, I, I noticed that myself sometimes sometimes uh and like even in my weaker moments sometimes i do see an impulse and i see it come up and i still go into it just mm -hmm. because uh, you know and uh especially like with me i think uh junk food might be like my you know the one i probably indulge in the most um and then you sometimes you could just see yourself like all right well like that that's the impulse it came up and uh, i'm gonna go and satisfy that impulse <laughs> <laughs> which is you know on the one hand you know that's that's a bit of a challenge and on the other hand it's this great safety mechanism where you know as we become more experienced as meditators you and i 
Um, like I said before, it keeps us humble so that when we're talking to other people about meditation, you know, if we're honest about where we're coming from, it really kind of gives us a bit of a level playing field. Like we're not becoming extra human. We're just becoming more human. And part of that is, yeah, <laughs> going for the junk food. Yeah. And uh, or clicking that YouTube button. Exactly. Exactly. And uh, more becoming more human, such a perfect way to say it, because you're understanding your humanness a lot more and yeah. like a part of that humanness has a lot of these urges, a lot of these impulses and a lot of whatever feelings are uh, come up with you as well. Um, and can then, I just, can I pause there? Yeah, you have just brilliantly described meditation. Everything you said from, you know, humanness, that's a beautiful description. Oh, I, I think I uh, stole that from you, actually. But uh, <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, thank you. Um, it's true. Uh, and like also being able when you see that in yourself, though, you like you said before, the compassion kind of rises up as well, yeah. because you start understanding other people are in that. And like, hey, we've all been through tough times in my life. Like I've been through tough times where whatever impulse I'm having, whether it might be eating or drinking or something that might be taking a little bit too much of a hold on me. And sometimes I get into like a few weeks or something of just being very unconscious. And I have yeah. to like, you know, I have to find that consciousness back and go back the other direction. So like, I kind of understand when I see my friends or other people in hard, harder spots, you become to like, get be more compassionate and kind of be like, you know, it, it makes you more of a loving person just to be like, hey, buddy, it's all right. And and more loving to yourself when you go down that you sometimes have to just be like, hey, buddy, this happens. We will we'll get over this kind of thing. Yeah. And I mean, there's a couple of really interesting points in there is is one thing as is recognizing these impulses coming up, recognizing when we're acting on them anyway, even though we might not want to. Um, one thing is it gives us this great opportunity to say exactly what you said to ourselves. Like, Hey buddy, it's okay. Like we can actually, when we catch it, when we catch what we've done, we've, we see what we've done. We can actually pause and, and self-talk for a moment. Like, I know it's hard. I know you thought it was the only thing to do. It's okay. It's going to be okay. Next time, maybe we'll see if we can do something different. I'm, I'm going to be with you. Next time, we'll see what we, if we can do something different. So there's that moment where we can actually offer ourselves some self-support mm -hmm. out of that familiarity. And also, you know, I think that, you know, again, what you said is right on the money, that the level of presence we're able to offer others in our life is also notable. Like, okay, I know raging impulse. And when you sit down with a friend over coffee and you have that kind of familiarity with what they're sharing, you know, I'm caught up in impulses, whatever the impulses might be. And you're able to say, yeah, I've been there. They know that you've really been there. Mm -hmm. Pick up on it. Right. And, you know, that's a, a kind of gift to the world, I think. A hundred percent. Hey, when I've had people who have been in a better spot and when I'm in a worse spot, kind of give me that kind of care. It, it really helps me out. And uh, yeah. And like, I honestly think uh, when you're in a good place as well, you want to kind of hopefully be able to give that lending hand to other people. It's, mm -hmm. uh, it's uh, really nice. And I like how you said self, like give that self support because a lot of times when you're unconscious of it, 
when you're unconscious of and just unconsciously going through your impulses and stuff like that, I, I've noticed a lot of times I turn into shame or guilt and like I start kind of piling that stuff on myself yeah. instead of uh, a self-support thing, which is way more healthy. And that shame and guilt just spirals into the behaviors getting strengthened. <laughs> That's true. Shame and guilt act on impulses, act on impulses, shame and guilt. It is the kind of this cycle. So yeah, we have this out of our familiarity comes this opportunity to, you know, kind of pause. And maybe sometimes the pause happens before the impulse is acted on. But as we're talking about here, maybe it happens after five minutes after five days after five months after it doesn't matter. It happens. We recognize what we've been um, caught up in and acknowledging that I think is a, in a, you know, very gentle and honest way is a huge gesture of self-support. Yeah. And I'll uh, repeat that again, what you were saying, become familiar with that was that old Tibetan. Uh, yeah. Right. And become what is that called again? GOM? GOM, G-O-M. Yeah. Become familiar with and Yeah. That's like, I hope uh, maybe I'll name that episode that because like, <laughs> honestly, that's just like a, such a perfect, uh, perfect way to say it. Um, so you were a, a competitive uh, swimmer and your mm -hmm. swim coach as well. Yeah. So I, I want to know, do you, how do you use this techniques to maybe become a better swimmer? And on top of that, how do you, cause like, I know, especially in like a lot of these uh, Buddhism or any Eastern philosophy, we talk about these desires to become better. And sometimes they're seen as, I don't know if you want to say wrong, or you're not supposed to get lost in those desires. So like, how do you also balance the, I want to be a better swimmer with the, uh, Hey, this desire to be a better swimmer might not be the healthiest thing. I'm just wondering if you, uh, <laughs> if you think about that. <laughs> Well, I mean, I was much better at um, bringing meditation into my life as a swim coach for others than I was as a swimmer for myself. And But how it worked when I was a swim coach was it was literally um, allowing my capacity, and because that's one of the things that builds up when you do a fair amount of practice of allowing my capacity to be present with what's going on right here, right now to kind of um, ground and support and acknowledge the swimmers that I worked with. That was kind of one of the main things that I actually did was just took the time to actually be with the swimmers that I worked with. So it meant being with them when they were having a really hard time because they got a disappointed, disappointing result. Being with them when they were so caught up in wanting to be a better swimmer in the race three weeks from now that they were shaking with fear and anxiety. Mm -hmm. Being with them, you know, whatever the situation might be. And um, that created a ground for some really uh, interesting interestingly powerful relationships. And then we swam <laughs> the swimming, the competition arose out of that ground. Mm -hmm. And uh, cause when you're saying like be with them, I think that's uh, important to note, like when you actually be with somebody and you actually give your full attention to them, they really do feel that. And like, they really do. It can be a very healing thing for themselves to be able, like they'll feel a lot safer to allow themselves to um, 
do whatever it needs to be to kind of heal or whatever they need. Yeah. And that really describes kind of the way it felt to me. And I'm going to flesh out, be with them a little bit, just, you know, so that we're all clear here. So what that meant was, um, so maybe a swimmer has just had a, a, a catastrophic swim, you know, just they hoped for this, they got that and they're crushed and, you know, whatever is going on in that crushedness is going on for them. A lot of panic, a lot of anxiety, a lot of sorrow, a lot of grief, a lot of self-condemnation. And, you know, then the swimmers would come to me and for, we'd have a post-race conversation. And rather than getting caught up in what they were going through, rather than getting caught up in all my ideas and opinions about what was going on, because again, like we talked about, those impulses are still there. Like, oh, don't worry about it. You've had a great season. Rather than getting caught up in that, I would actually just try and be present in the f- to the best of my capacity, the fullness of my embodied life and just be with them for a few moments. So that there was no interference in their process from me getting caught up in my process. It was a sense of literally, like we said, just being present for a few moments. And as you acknowledged, that has a tremendous effect. And that presence would be the ground from which we conversed and from which, from where we, you know, carried on for the rest of the season, if there was any rest of the season to be had. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's really uh, interesting because you're right. If you, rather than just be with them, if you get kind of caught up in your own thinking or your own, whatever your own, uh, whatever your own uh, like uh, objective is like that kind of uh, will get tangled up with their own uh, thinking and objective too. So it it can like, it can create some sort of resistance, which won't help the swimmer is that much, especially if they're younger too. Right. No. Yeah. And I mean, that's a great description. And if you had to, uh, you know, if you really, you know, kind of pushed me up against a wall and said, okay, you have to tell me the one most valuable thing you've received from all your years of meditation practice. You know, I, mean, I can't pick one, but if you pushed me up against the wall and said, you know, I want to know one, I think the one thing that I most value is the dynamic that you just described, the ability to see my thing as my thing and not necessarily imported into a situation. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. I think this kid's overreacting. Well, okay, that's great, Neil, but that's not what's going on right now. Just leave that to the side and be with this person. And, you know, my, my judgments and opinions and all that kind of stuff can whirl away all at once off to the side. But right now I'm face-to-face, heart-to-heart with this person. And we're just not going to bring that into the mix, you know, in an ideal situation. Mm-hmm. That's a great way to say it, man. So like on top of that, then, like I was talking about that desire to like become better. I kind of, this is just uh, something I'm also interested in because I try to like bring a lot of my practice into my, cause I'm a comedian. Like I was telling you, like, so if I'm trying to like, I bring my practice a lot to be like more present on stage, more in the moment on stage. That's a lot of what I try to use my meditation. But I also, I'm not going to lie. A part of me is like, I want to meditate more to become a better comedian. Yeah. And I'm going to be, you know, like that's there. Um, 
And like, I don't know, when I like approach that desire, I just kind of look at it as like, okay, this is just the kind of desire that's there. And when it pops up, I let it pop up and just kind of observe it. Maybe like how you were saying, become familiar with it. Um, and that's kind of where I'm at right now. And like, uh, yeah, I don't know, like uh, uh, part of me is like, uh, maybe if there's another way to kind of look at that desire, do you, do you kind of see that in any kind of other way? Yeah. And it comes up, it obviously came up in the swimming context all the time. And it comes up with the meditators that I work with as well. You know, this desire to get somewhere, this desire to be different, this desire to improve, however we want to articulate it. And, you know, what I try to do is kind of offer some balance so that there's a sense of wanting to improve and at the same time, accepting ourselves where we are right now. There's this um, very famous um, Zen teacher by the name of Shunru Suzuki. He founded the San Francisco Zen Center. He was the author of Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, which um, is a formative text for me anyway. And I'm probably going to get the quote incorrect. So apologies in that front, that front. But he once said, you are all perfect exactly the way you are. And you could use a little improvement. Ha, 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 Yeah, yeah. Okay. So apologies to Suzuki Roshi for the error I probably made there, but that was the general gist. And, you know, I, I try to hold that andness with myself. I try to hold that andness with the meditation, the meditators that I work with. And I tried to hold that andness with the swimmers as well. Mm-hmm. And I, I love that a lot. I really do. It has that uh, perfect mix of that, a little bit of that self-support we were kind of talking about because it's like it is really important not to beat yourself up mentally because I think that just creates so much suffering and yeah. uh that suffering just can cycle and cycle and get you like into like shittier places but uh at the end of the time it's 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 true like you should try to be a little bit better like it I, I think that's also a very healthy thing as well um yeah I mean, it's how people show up at meditation classes for the first time, right? I mean, you know, people don't show up just because like, oh, there's a door. I think I'll walk through it and see what's on the other side. It's like, okay, I've got this thing in my life that I'm struggling with. And I think meditation is going to help make things better in some way, shape or form. So I'm going to go through that door and take that class. So okay. it's, it is, it's really helpful. Yeah, that's a great point. You're right. Uh, I actually, I remember thinking about that a long time ago. I'm like, no one really starts meditation, uh, like when everything's good. Like a lot of people <laughs> like have like an idea. I know with my mind, when I started, like I was probably like 20 years old when I started meditating and the whole thing in my head was like, I honestly thought like the mind was so powerful and it is powerful. But like in my head, I was like, oh, those mind was so powerful. I'm going to meditate and it's going to give me an edge. And like, I, yep. I, remember, I, I fucking like did it in a very consumerist, uh, materialistic way. Like this is going to gain me an edge and I'm going to, going to be killing it out there. <laughs> <laughs> Six months and I'll be the best meditator the universe has ever seen. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it, it's funny. Um, and yeah, it's like such a, I, I really find it like, cause I think the more we start meditating, like we start really kind of understanding like uh, how our mind grasps mm -hmm. at like so much stuff, like even just our thoughts or ideas 
our beliefs, like our like these things, like when you the more you meditate, that you can just it feels like you can just keep going more and more into examining like how you view the world and understand that that's just a mental like image you have of like how you view the world and that really isn't real. Like what's real yeah. is just that like how you were saying that embodied experience that's real like but under when you have like an idea of like what this world is or a, a belief about what it is and like all of that stuff when you really start looking at them you go like oh shit like none of that is real and my mind loves to grasp at that stuff yeah and you know it causes us grief right mm -hmm. i mean we were talking about this in the couple minutes we before we had before this interview you know for some reason my gr mind grasped onto the fact that you're a stand up comedian and i got really intimidated about this interview right? Well, <laughs> I've never met you before. I've listened to your podcast before. You seem like a nice, reasonable guy. Why am I holding on to this? Like, but I was holding on and holding on and holding on and making myself miserable as a result. And, you know, here we are. And it's like, okay, <laughs> that thought had no basis in reality. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's crazy how your mind can create that kind of suffering. <sighs> And like, I, I had to learn this like the hard way with comedy so many times is like, I had such a bad habit of showing up to a show and looking at the audience and then just completely judging the audience right away yeah. in, in more of a sense of just being like, oh, like this audience is like way too old. They're going to hate me. And like all of a sudden I put all this pressure on me or even sometimes it would go the opposite way. Like, oh, this audience is like young. They're going to love me. And uh, then I kind of like, <laughs> besides that then I don't really prepare too much or I'm just overconfident and cocky and like a lot of that time I it causes unnecessary suffering and it causes me to like um, be less in the moment when I'm on stage and like not be do as well as I could it's uh it's interesting and I love I mean that's such a great example you've just offered of of the value of meditation in your life in our everyday lives you're actually seeing how your mental patterns are interfering with your ability to do your work and you've got a little bit of a skill set to kind of pull back from that and not get quite so caught up so you can actually be more effective in your work that's like a brilliant example of you know what i think um meditation has to offer us in our everyday lives mm -hmm. No, I think that's really cool. Uh, so like when you're dealing or helping out people, like how do you look at trauma then when it comes to meditation? Because I think a lot of us and like I think now our like whole society is starting to become a lot more aware of trauma and like the whole idea that a, a lot of our experiences from our past can like leave a mark on us. Yeah. And this can really affect our just our everyday living how do you kind of see like meditation and it's uh, kind of relationship with trauma? That's a great question. It's a huge question. Um, I think meditation in large part is all about working with trauma. And so what I'm going to do now is I'm going to define my terms. What do I mean by trauma? By trauma, I mean any experience that are, ex that exceeds our capacity to be present with it. Okay any experience that exceeds our capacity to be present with it. So that encompasses what we normally think of as trauma, you know, those big T trauma events. It also broadens the definition to encompass 
more subtle, more everyday, maybe more less notable kinds of trauma, like um, you're walking down the hallway at work and someone says, hey, Nora, that's an ugly shirt. And your, your feelings get hurt. And the hurt is in, exceeds your capacity to be present with it. So you end up exiting into thoughts about what a jerk that person is and how you're going to get them the next time. That's trauma too. It's the same response. I, you know, it's, it, it's an automatic, it's like a safety a circuit breaker in our system. It's a, our system recognizes that we can't be present. We don't presently have the capacity to be present with this experience. And so we kind of contract and step out of the experience, whether it's something as simple as the insult that happens about our shirt at work, or, you know, the more big T trauma things that we normally associate with trauma with that term. So what we're doing when we're meditating is that we're constantly coming back to embodied experience. And in so doing, we're developing our capacity. It, I often say it's like lifting a dumbbell. Every time we come back to embodied experience, we're strengthening our bicep with every rep. And that strength allows us to stay present with whatever's happening in our embodied lives. So we can, we develop the capacity to be present with how hurt we feel by the person who just insulted our shirt. Mm. We develop our capacity to be present with this really upsetting um, event that happened to us at a swim meet when we were 12 years old. We develop our capacity to be with you know, more foundational, more fundamental trauma that may have developed, you know, further back in our history. Mm. So meditations from that understanding is all about working with trauma from the most subtle to the most obvious forms. Now, I want to say a couple of things about that. Meditation is not a, a panacea. It's not a cure-all for trauma. And what I frequently tell the people that I work with is in my experience, there will come times in our meditation practice where we encounter traumatic experience, where we encounter experience that we've contracted and retreated from. It comes back, arises through the body as we're practicing. There will be times when we still can't be present to it while we're meditating. We can't do it. And in those times, it's really important to act in a skillful and appropriate way. Meaning, you know, maybe we need to do something different in our meditation practice. Maybe for the next couple of weeks, we just need to sit quietly rather than doing some sort of formal technique so that whatever this is has a little bit of freedom to unwind itself. Maybe it's so intense today that we need to kind of take a break and take a look tomorrow. So we get up and go for a walk or we call a friend and talk about what happened. Or mm -hmm. maybe what happens is the something different that we need to engage is an additional modality. So in, in addition to continuing to meditate, we're seeing a therapist or we're seeing a body worker or we're seeing a shamanic practitioner in order to address what has come up for us. So meditation, I think, is all about working with trauma from smallest T to biggest T. And it's really important to recognize when it's skillfully appropriate to do something different in the face of what's coming up for us. That is uh, very well explained, Neil. Thank you for that. Uh, honestly, that was uh, 
like amazingly said, I really appreciate that. Um, do you think that whole idea of giving awareness to the trauma, like when you actually are able to experience when it's not too intense and you're able to bring that uh, experience back and you can provide or like shine awareness on those feelings when they're coming up on that trauma. Do you think in that, just that act in itself kind of like weakens the trauma maybe? I think the word I would use is heals. heals. It's not a term I use frequently, but I would use heals. And, you know, um, just the other day, for example, let's give a concrete example. Just another, the other day I was meditating and what arose as I was meditating was uh, a memory of a specific event, an interaction that happened between myself and another person. And it was a very intense exchange. It was a very upsetting exchange. I'm sure it's coming up because I'd contracted and pushed it away. It was a traumatic exchange in the sense of exceeding my capacity to be with it at the time. And it came up and there was an awareness, a, a kind of awareness of the fullness of the situation. Like I wasn't seeing it quite in quite the same narrow way. It was a little bit more all encompassing. So I was seeing my perspective and the other person's perspective. And it just sort of hung out in my practice for maybe 30 seconds. So in my awareness for 30 seconds. And it was almost like this person and I had kind of repaired our relationship in that span, you know, and then it just dissolved. It was gone. And, you know, maybe there's some left, it'll show up a year from now in another practice, but I think there's tremendous value in allowing awareness to hold again, as long as we hold it in our mind that there's an and here, and sometimes we need to do something different, but I think there's tremendous value in allowing our awareness to hold these traumatized aspect of ourselves, these unlived aspects of our, because that's what trauma is. Trauma is experience that's too intense in the moment. So it does, it's not allowed to live its life. And when it comes back, holding it, allowing it to rest in our awareness allows it to live its life a little bit, which is all it really wants. That's uh, yeah, that's amazing. And yeah. And like, I love how you said, like how you explain trauma. It's like, it's experience that wants to be lived, but it's just too intense at that moment for us to actually like actually experience it properly. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's uh, such a perfect way to describe it. And, uh, and I think it's important too to, you know, we're, we've talked a lot about, you know, self-support, self-kindness, self-talk. Um, it's important too, to be really kind to ourselves. If something comes up in the course of our meditation practice, like I was just describing, and it remains too intense for us to be with right now, like be kind to ourselves about that. Don't judge that. You know, it's okay. Maybe not today, maybe tomorrow, maybe next month, maybe next year. It's okay that I just can't quite be present with this part of my life right now. Yeah. That's uh, so, uh, that's so great to say. It's like, it's very important to like give yourself that and like, I think that it has like a lot to do with like a lot of the anxiety and different kind of feelings. Like a lot of people are with these days. I kind of notice my anxiety has that kind of element that you're talking about. And uh, yeah, like I've 
honestly over the years i've uh like a lot of my anxiety that kind of crops up before i go on stage or uh just like being around in social situations and stuff a lot of that is like i've i've been able to like actually be with that experience and like you said it's a lot of that's kind of healed but mm -hmm. i do have these kind of deeper anxieties that are very intense that i've started to notice in the last couple of years and they pop up very rarely but i'm still having issues like being able to experience them fully and just be with them yeah. i'm still i am and i'm doing what you're kind of exactly what you're explaining like the experience is too intense so i basically jump out of it somehow and uh and it's kind of funny I, I do have a little bit of awareness how that is actually causing a lot of tension in my body mm -hmm. uh, when i when i do jump out of it but like you said right now i'm just i can't be with it really i'm not uh, yeah. i don't have that uh, level of awareness yet or just i'm not ready for it right now and i, I need to give myself a little bit of that self-support which I, I think i've been doing a good job of doing which is nice <laughs> yeah and uh, one of the things that might be helpful in this regard is one of the things i do is i call it post-it note practice okay right so um let's go back to the grocery store so i'm in the grocery <laughs> store and something comes up and it's too much for me to handle right now, you know, it's exceeding my capacity to be present with, I'll sometimes post it, put a post-it note on it. So it's basically me saying it's like uh, an IOU. It's like, okay, I'm going to give you some attention, but not now. I can't do it in the grocery store, in the meeting while, you know, I'm having dinner with a friend. I can't do it right now. So I literally put a post-it note where I feel it in my body, you know, mental post-it note with a promise to go back later when, you know, I feel a little more able, hmm. you know, so, okay, I've got an hour of quiet time here at home before everyone gets back. So I'm going to lie down and sometimes I'll meditate lying down. So I'm talking about meditating here. I'm going to lie down and just come back to that place and just allow it a little bit of awareness and see with the support of the floor, the earth underneath, the quiet time that I'm afforded right now, see if I can actually be a little bit more present. And sometimes it's the post-it note is not about meditation. Sometimes it's like, okay, I'm going to talk about this with my wife or my friend. And, you know, that's a way of um, developing my capacity to be with these things or a therapist that I'm working with. But a lot of times I'll go back to it in meditation practice later on. Mm -hmm. And uh, the one thing I really like about you, you don't, I, I like how you don't use meditation as like this cure all for everything, which I've seen some people do. And like, you do understand like, hey, this is a tool. But let's understand that there's other tools out there and don't like, don't like pretty much kind of over inflate what meditation is and kind of understand like yeah. how this tool can be used properly with other tools. Yeah. And like any tool, it it's, you know, a hammer is a great thing unless you need a screwdriver, mm -hmm. <laughs> in which case you want to get a screwdriver and meditations like that. It's, you know, it is a tool. It has um, tremendous, has had tremendous value in my life. And yet, um, you know, to sit here with you today, I wouldn't be sitting here with you today were it not for other tools helping me along the way. Mm hmm. No, so what's, what's unique about meditation for me is it's been the constant for, you know, however many decades, other tools have come and gone. Meditation has been the constants, but other tools have come and gone because they were necessary. They were needed. Yeah, no, that's a, uh, that's a uh, very cool. Um, 
I, I think I feel the same way. Like I, uh, meditation has been my constant. I think breath work has kind of come in, uh, in, in the last couple of years, uh, in the last, uh, maybe five, six years, I've been kind of working with ayahuasca. It's like, mm-hmm. um, yeah, like a psychedelic, which kind of like, it's been really, you know, I think psychedelics can be really good tools, uh, if used like responsibly and like, um, maybe not as like often, but in like small periods of time. And, uh, yeah, no, that's, that's interesting. I think, uh, to use these tools and like really, uh, and uh, man, talking with other people, like you were saying, cause I know you're saying, talk to a therapist, talk to friends. Like that's one thing I think just that understanding of like, you get that connection with another person when yeah. you like really understand how valuable that connection is and like how healing that is as well. That, uh, that's a big part of it, I think, should be uh, used as a tool as well. Yeah, and I think you're you're kind of moving on to, you know, in this discussion, you're moving on to, I think, another point that is really important for me is understanding meditation as the be-all and end-all, like it's going to fix everything, absolutely. It kind of cuts me off from the rest of my life because I've got this thing that's the perfect thing and it diminishes the value and the role that other things have to play in my life. Understanding meditation as a tool, it kind of perforates that tendency and it incorporates meditation into my life, which is something I really love. And it allows me to appreciate other traditions and other modalities and people from different backgrounds and so on and so forth, which is to me, a richer way of being human being. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and like we were talking about the best thing about meditation, it allows us to experience life more and yeah. more fully and be here and all the like all the beautiful things that what life is. It's like, yeah, it's about being like it's about increasing or giving us a better relationship with our life. So I think that's a good way to say it. Um, so Neil, this was amazing. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, I got one more question for you. It's a question of the podcast. So, the question uh, of the podcast. Yeah, Neil McKinley. God, yay or nay? Yeah, no, nor I've been thinking about this a lot. Uh, I'm not sure I can go along with someone hanging out in the clouds with the beard and stuff. <laughs> God as imminent. You know, God has percolated throughout our experience, throughout life. I'm on board with 100%. So I'll go with yay. Oh, okay. Ah, nice, nice. <laughs> All right. Uh, thank you so much, Neil. Um, please let my audience know uh, just anything you want to promote or uh, let them know about. Uh, yeah, please let them know right now. Yeah, well, you know, you can find me in all the usual places, Facebook and Instagram and Insight Timer, which is a uh, place where meditation teachers hang out and offer um, what they do. I've got a podcast on all the usual outlets, Apple and Spotify and so on. The main way really, though, is, you know, my website, which is neilmckinley.com. I am a Mick, not a Mac, Mick Kinley, M-C-K-I-N. And then my last The last bit of my name is L-A-Y. Most McKinleys are L-E-Y. I am an L-A-Y McKinley. So (laughs) neilmckinley.com. And you get an overview of everything that I do there from guided meditations to writings about meditation and life to the two online communities that I offer um, people to take advantage of. Awesome. And I'll put that in the in the description of the podcast for everybody. Uh, But Neil, thank you so much. This was a lot of fun.
Great. I really enjoyed it. Thanks very much. All right. That was another episode. Thanks for listening, everybody. Please like and subscribe to the podcast. Give it a good rating. That always helps. And share it with like-minded people. I really do appreciate that. You can check me out at NewerKidY on Instagram or check out my website, NewerKidY.com. You can see my comedy. You can see my comedy dates that are coming up and all that other information. We're part of the comedy here often, Podcast Network on 604 Records. But I'll see you next time on another episode of God Yay or Nay.